We are um, acknowledging or, or uh, praying, highlighting, um, our spotlighting our engaged ministry for May of Sierra Leone. Uh, if you've been in our church for a while, if you've been uh, affiliated with our denomination that we associate with for a while, you'll know that Sierra Leone has been uh, a mission uh, work that we've had for a number of years. Uh, as I shared with you before, we were uh, during the tribal warfare, we were literally driven out of Sierra Leone. There's a hospital there in Matru, and uh, things had just to be, they had to be left. Um, uh, not too, a few years ago, we've kind of resurrected the ministry there, the mission there. It's been more safe to go back in, but as you can see, there's still a lot of work to be done, a lot of uh, aftermath from the tribal warfares, the unstable government, uh, the uh, Ebola um, uh, epidemic and things like that that continue to to have a very negative and profound implication on Sierra Leone. It is for this that I'm asking that you pray. It's for these things that we often take for granted living in the United States that I'm asking you to your hearts be penetrated with the love of Christ to lift up the Sierra Leones and pray for them on a daily basis. There's um, a progress, and I've shared this with you about the solar energy that's going in. Uh, there's progress, and I'm just going to read it. By the way, if you would go to ub.org uh, and click on our global ministries, you will find uh, numerous things there, information given about uh, the missions and some of the things that's happening uh, in our global ministry as, as a denomination. Um, also, we have uh, the UB has uh, global ministries has a Facebook page, and I would highly recommend you go there and like it and see the various things that's taking place around the world of how we are trying to impact uh, the regions for for the uh, for Christ. Uh, but with Sierra Leone, there's progress. I'm going to read this to you. There's progress being made at the Matru um, UBC Hospital in Sierra Leone, uh, where the global ministry staff member Matt Asher is working with others to prepare the site for the 100 kVA solar array and water purification packaging project. Solar panels, batteries, packaging equipment, and supplies are on their way and will be installed in the coming months. The project will eventually provide electricity to the hospital and sell excess electricity to a limited number of consumers in the community. The Sola Wada business, uh, business on the hospital campus will sell packaged drinking water in the surrounding towns and villages. These installations and the resultant income will greatly enhance the hospital's ability uh, to be substantially more self-sustaining while advancing its medical work and ministry to the surrounding 200,000 residents of the Bont District. Guys, please pray for this missions as the other ones that we've been highlighting, highlighting. But I would ask and implore you to pray for the Sierra Leone uh, mission work that we have there. In your program, you will notice that there, there are the prayer that came up on the video I've placed specifically in your program. Please direct your attention to that prayer this week and lift up uh, Sierra Leone uh, this week in our prayers that God might continue to uh, do a mighty work there and Christ be preached and Christ be received to um, to people that uh, have not heard of him right now I just want to lead us into a word of prayer and I really just want to pray over these four things if you want to look in your program I literally just want to pray over these four things very quickly but if you would please join in your hearts uh, in your minds if you would just bow your heads and your hearts with me and let me lead us into a word of prayer Father, we're touched when we see videos like this. Things like this come crashing down into our world. And 
oftentimes makes us realize that we focus on things that are completely on the temporary and have nothing to do with the eternal. And oftentimes, those temporary things drive our emotions. They drive our passions. And Father, I pray that today that we might be able to arrest that and we might focus on eternal things, things that, things that grieve your heart, things that disturb you. I pray that we would have the eyes to see people, to see nations, to see situations that need, the, the, the eyes to see the way you see it, the, the, that, they are, that they are so desperate in need to hear the gospel and to, to have a relationship with you. And Father, right now, we just join together and we pray for the government in Sierra Leone, that there would be stability and peace. Father, that they would be able to operate the way they need to operate. Father, that you might put an end to this government corruption and that uh, peace would be felt by these people that so desperately need it. We pray for restoration and wholeness for those uh, that have suffered the atrocities of war. When we think about the atrocities of war, Africa is one continent that we, that we think about where unspeakable, inhumane things happen all in the name of war. Father, we lift them up right now and pray that you might bring healing to the Sierra Leone people. We also pray that the Holy Spirit would just move in a very powerful way, empowering believers who are committed to ministries of healing and reconciliation. Father, not just people in Sierra Leone, but we pray for them, but we also pray for people back here on stateside that we might be moved to action, that our hearts might be tender, that our hearts might be captivated and arrested by the situations that are going on, that we might have hearts of healing and reconciliation and passion for that to go and to be an agent for you. We also pray for healing from the effects, the implications of the Ebola crisis that happened a few years ago. Father, we lift them up. We pray that you would continue to bring them healing, uh, physical healing. Father, we pray that you would use the hospital there uh, as a resource to, to minister to people, not only physically, but most importantly, spiritually. And as they come to have their physical needs met, they would hear about someone who wants to truly address their life. And that's Jesus. And so this morning, Element Church here joins together the believers here, us, we, your children, commit and unite our hearts together right now for Sierra Leone. And we lift them up right now as we pray. And we pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus, not ourselves, not about what we can do, but Father, what you can do in the power of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You know, I, I, I read about these things. And I hear about these things and I watch videos about these things. And I and I wonder if, you know, if, or I should say it this way. The challenge comes out. Do we have the, do I have the eyes to see people as Jesus sees people? Do I have the eyes, not just countries, uh, you know, not just foreign countries, but even, you know, stateside here, even in Blissfield and Adrian communities. Do I have the eyes to see people who they, how Jesus sees people? Do you have the eyes to see people that way? How do you view people? Because a lot of times, especially as we're talking about this 10 second rule and we're going through this book, and, you know, and I don't know how many different ways that we can say it, but really it's about, about us believers being deployed. 
How about us that come and we, we, we hear, we listen, we're filled with knowledge where we hear about Jesus, we talk about it, we study about it, we've been to class after class, we do all those things, but I wonder how many of us really go out and make a difference in the world. Or do we kind of sit back and say, well, I haven't been trained properly, I haven't done this, I haven't done that. Folks, let me say this. You don't need any more than the Holy Spirit indwelling in your life. The Holy Spirit will lead you if you submit and have a humble heart to the Spirit of God. There is no way we, mankind, can feed you or give you what the Holy Spirit wants to give you. God's Spirit indwelling inside of His children, inside of His believers, changing you, molding us into His image, but giving us the heart and the compassion to see people the way Jesus sees people. I think of a story, if you would, turn with me there in John chapter 4, and I want to take a look at this very familiar story that you've probably heard if you've been in church a few times. It's the story of, of Jesus and His disciples. And they're traveling and they come up on this town in Samaria. They come up on this town called Sychar in Samaria. Now, if I can, if you, just bear with me a minute. Let me just give you just a few, a little bit of context of what's taking place. So Jesus is, is Him and His disciples are... are um, traveling around, and they come up on Samaria. Now, what do we know about Samaria? We know Samaria was absolutely despised by the Jews. It was a place where people would literally walk miles and miles out of their way to get to the destination they were going to just on the other side of Samaria. They despised it that much. When they came and they were walking into Samaria, they wouldn't even go in it whatsoever. They would literally walk completely around it, even if it cost them a day's journey or whatever it is. They would literally had, they literally had no association with this particular area called Samaria. They viewed them as half-breeds. They weren't full Jew. They weren't full anything else. They were just kind of a hodgepodge of people in which the Jews despised. That's not seeing people the way Jesus sees people. And we read about a story where Jesus comes to the well, where's this woman, or they come to this well, and there's this woman sitting, uh, comes out to draw water. Now, when we read about this woman, she was a Samaritan woman. So she's coming out in the, in the noonday when it's completely hot. She's by herself. It's suggested, and I believe this, I believe this very, um, uh, fully as well, that she came out at that time because she was an outcast in her town of Sychar. She was an outcast because of the things that was taking place within her life. The sin, the, the way she was living her life. And she was an outcast. So she came by herself. She came out in the worst part of the day, the most hottest time of the day, to literally get away from the other people so she didn't have to have conversation with other individuals. But in this particular day, she had a conversation, and it was the most awesome conversation she could ever have because she had it with the Messiah, Jesus. And so Jesus sits down and they have this discussion and Jesus leans into her and he says some things where she begins to notice, hey, this guy knows me. This guy knows things that only a prophet could know. This guy knows truly my heart and beyond my heart. He knows the most inner depth, the recesses of my heart. And so she has this conversation and Jesus asks her for a drink of water and she's bewildered by it. And she asks him a few questions and he says this, if you only knew who I was, you would be asking me for water. Living water. She replies to him and says, where is this water? 
If I can have water while I'm never thirst again, she's thinking in the physical terms, if I could have water, you know, in this physical sense, what I would never have to come back to this well, if I would never have to come back here to be ostracized and, and criticized and judged and ridiculed and all these other things, give me that water. And Jesus says, that's not the water I'm talking about. I'm talking about the water that, that will, that, that will just flood your soul. And so Jesus has this conversation. She, is just literally taken aback by the whole thing and she realizes that she is in the presence of the Messiah, which he informs her. And she runs off into town to tell the other townspeople what she has found. And this is where we pick up the story because in verse 27, the disciples come back because they had gone in for to get some food. They were very tired. They were exhausted. And so they tell Jesus, just hang out here. We will go into town, get you some food and come back. And so in verse 27, it says this, just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed. Now this is actually, I'm sorry, this is right before she left. They were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went into town and told the men, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. He was tired. He was exhausted. And he says this in verse 30, uh, 32. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him some food, something to eat? And he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Verse 35, don't you say there are still four months that then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life, so the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. If I can, just for the next few moments, I want to share a couple things with you about seeing people the way Jesus sees people. First thing I want to share with you is this. Jesus truly saw people. And I don't mean physically where it's like, yes, I see you, you see me. Yes, we see people. I'm talking about Jesus saw people for who they were. Jesus leaned into people. He saw them regardless of what was taking place in and around them. He truly saw into them. In addition, he broke taboos, customs, and all kinds of culture. Jesus saw people where culture was said, you can't look at them. Jesus saw people and leaned into people when culture forbid it, or customs forbid it. Where taboos were erected because they did not come in contact with certain people. For instance, he conversed with lepers, bringing them healing. Lepers were considered complete outcasts. Imagine the dignity you would have had as a leper where anytime you walked someplace, you had to yell constantly, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. Essentially saying, don't come around me. You're going to get infected with what I've got. Man, talk about being stripped of dignity and value and worth in someone's life. But Jesus ministered to the lepers. He also ministered to the outcasts, which lepers were considered outcasts, but all kinds of people that the, the, the society said, do not talk with them. Don't sit down with them. Don't, minister, don't do anything with them. 
He conversed with quote-unquote sinners. Remember the story with the woman who was brought into adultery? Jesus has this situ- has this encounter with this woman, and at the end of this situation or end of this event, he basically says, "Those without sin, you cast the first stone." Of course, everybody leaves except the woman. Did he condemn her? No, he forgave her, and he said, "Go and sin no more." He ministered to people who were quote unquote sinners, and their lives were changed. He conversed with the despised. I think of stories of the tax collectors. They were vehemently despised. Think about it. Rome was controlling the Jews at the time. And then you had Jews, their own people, would work for Rome and work for the Roman Empire to collect taxes off their own people. Take it a step further, they would even gouge their own people and take more than what they were supposed to, supposed to charge them. And they would take that and they would use it for themselves. And everybody knew it and everybody hated them. But yet Jesus ministered to a Matthew who becomes a disciple. Jesus ministered and sat in the home of a person called Zacchaeus, ministering with him. He conversed with children. It's unreal how a culture would look at children and, 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 and view them as less of people. Now granted, there's times where I think we all probably view that, right? Especially with our own children and others' children, other people's children. And I'm joking. It's sad that sometimes you have to define when you're joking, right? But he conversed with children to the point where he even challenged other people, you need to become like a child. You need to have the faith of a child. You need to have that trusting faith. You need to become like one of these. And he conversed with women. You see, the disciples, it's very interesting what the disciples say in the second half of verse 27. They say this, or they're thinking this. He's talking with this woman, and they, they, yet, yet it says, yet no one said, What do you want or why are you talking with her? Now let's think about this for a second. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples. Here are individuals that are following this teacher. And they believe that he is the Messiah, that he is the teacher. And they're following him and they are disciples of Jesus. But they were inoculated with the custom that said, don't associate with women outside of your home. Because that's how they viewed women outside of their home. There was even rabbinic laws that was extremely against women. One of them literally said, let no one talk with a woman in the street. No, not with with even his own wife. Don't even talk to your own wife. Don't talk to any women in the street. That was a law. We're not talking about, we're talking about this was a law. They despised him so much that they thought they were incapable, incapable of receiving any teaching. Another law said this, or another saying said this, better that words of the law be burned than deliver them to a woman. Hey, women, how do you feel about that? That's a good Mother's Day message, isn't it? Better the words of the law be burned than to teach them to a woman. And another one even said this, if a man conversed with a woman too long that he would essentially defile himself, causing himself evil, and abstains from the law and deserves eternal punishment. Wow. That's what the disciples were inoculated with. That's what the disciples were, were, were educated with. And that's the custom. Guys, let me tell you something. Customs 
customs are very, run very deep inside of us. The way that you were raised, if you had certain things that your parents taught you, it is very hard for someone to break away from those customs. Extremely hard. We develop paradigms around those. It is extremely hard. And even when we begin to attempt to say, you know what, I don't really, I believe it, but I don't really believe it, you know, I, I, I think I've got more freedom here or whatever it is to literally take a step outside of that. There is this deep entrenched emotion that runs, that runs deep inside of us that says, but I can't. Or, or we struggle even if we try. And that's what these disciples were, 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 had experienced. But Jesus broke through all of these things. Jesus broke through all of this stuff and He valued capital letters in bold, all people. He saw people the way God saw people because He was God, but He saw people with dignity and value. Nevertheless, and this is interesting, nevertheless, the disciples were taken aback, but they had learned not to say anything. Now I think it's kind of humorous in a sense. Because if you think about it, these disciples, there were a lot of times where they, they would step out and kind of stick their foot in their mouth, right? I find it very interesting that in this situation, they saw it, but they were like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to say anything on this one, right? I mean, can you imagine when you start thinking about the disciples and you start thinking about these guys that, that were having these guy moments? Remember that whole story where, um, where two of the disciples, their mom came to Jesus? You remember that one? Holy cow. Their mom came to Jesus and she has this, she had this request. When you die and go to heaven and take your eternal throne, could my sons sit on one side of your throne and the other one on the other side? Holy cow. Is that not a huge request? And I can't imagine those other disciples kind of, you know, after Jesus kind of did some of his teaching, right? I can't imagine, just like guys do, I can only imagine what took place after that, like, Dude, you remember when their mother came and asked Jesus that most ridiculous question? Was that not insane? If my mom ever did that, I would kill her, right? But that's what they, they were, that's the, that's what they grew, they were, they grew up in this, but I find it very interesting that at some point, I think they had a little filter that said, ding ding, let's not say anything on this one, let's let this play out, let's see where it goes, right? But Jesus truly saw people. The next thing is this. Jesus was energized from the story. He was literally energized by a different source. Jesus was extremely tired. His disciples returned and they asked him how, you know, they left him so long ago and how, you know, what they asked him, did someone, did, did, did someone give you some food? Did someone nourish him? But he said, I have, I have food to eat that you don't know about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus told them. Jesus was being nourished by something much grander, something with real significance. And he states it to them what that is. He said, my nourishment comes from what? Doing the will of the Father. My nourishment comes, my charge, my passion, the way I get filled is, is when I do the will of the Father. And there's something about what, there's something about this when, when, when God has called you and I to do something. There's something about this when you and I finally discover how we were created, how we were, we were uniquely designed, how we are intricately put together, and we begin to live out of that. And we begin to discover how God wants to use us in, in, on, on purpose. 
And we have this purpose in our life. And when we come into contact with that and we begin to live out of that purpose, a lot of we, this, this disgruntledness, this frustration, this distraction, this, 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 the, the deceitfulness of Satan begins to fall away. And we begin to experience this power that just floods us and we become so energized. We become so on fire for Jesus. That we're willing to go out and, and talk about Him. We're willing to do whatever it is that He has called us to do in the context in which He called us to do it. Many of you may have uh, know of a guy by the name, last name Wilberforce. Wilberforce was very, um, very instrumental in the freeing of slaves in England. But Wilberforce, as it says, was so insignificant in stature. He was so small. In fact, they would say he was an ailing, cre- an ailing creature as he was described. But he was so instrumental in freeing the slaves back in that day. When he approached, now listen to this, when he approached the House of Commons, the members would smile and giggle and lean in to look at this little man, this little man that was putrid, puny, and they would begin to laugh at him. But here's the interesting part. When the fire of heaven came down and spoke through him, they would literally crowd the benches to listen to what he had to say. And it was even said of him that this guy is a minnow, a little minnow, but he became a whale. That's what was said about Wilberforce. When this dynamic power would overtake his weakness. That's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about, it's, I am nourished. I get charged when, I, when I'm about the will of the Father. Wilberforce experienced this same thing. And that's what happens when you and I, when mankind submits to the will of God instead of our preferences, instead of our expectations, instead of the way we think it should happen, when we submit to the will of God and we're used by God, this power just floods through us and we are so charged living out the purpose of our lives. The next thing is this. Jesus saw the big picture. In this story, Jesus certainly saw the big picture. In the Scripture, in verse 35, it says this. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ready for harvest. And there's a word there that's the open. Open your eyes. And in this context, it literally means to raise. And I think that's very, I think that's very important. Because I think a lot of times we get so focused down on the minutia. A lot of times we get focused so intent, intently on the minutia that all this stuff's happening around here and we kind of lose sight of it. We lose sight of the big picture because we are so drilled down on something. And Jesus says, raise your head. Look out. Raise your eyes. Because the harvest is ready. The harvest is ready. And some have postulated, and I like this, and this, this again, some have postulated that when Jesus spoke these very words, it was happening simultaneous with this woman who had went back into the town of Sychar, where she was from, and she shared the message that I have found the Messiah. Could this really be him? And when all this took place, these people, these men begin to come out and with their white robes and their white hat, their white, you know, turbans or head coverings, whatever you want to call them. They come out and they're flooding the hillside developing this, making this contrast between the fields and between the fields and the sky. And Jesus is saying, look, the harvest is ready. And these people come flooding out to the Messiah, wanting to hear the message. The disciples would have literally seen the harvest getting ready and 
being reaped in this particular situation. And the last thing I want to share with you is this. Jesus prepared the harvest. He said, I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. The sower and the harvester was going to celebrate. In this particular time, they were going to celebrate together. But oftentimes it doesn't happen that way. And what happens when it doesn't happen that way? Do we get discouraged? A lot of times we lose sight when we don't see what we think. Again, back to our expectations. When we look at it, we say, well, there's no use. There's no use in doing what I'm doing because there's no movement. You don't know that. In fact, it's not even yours to own. Jesus is asking you to be faithful. Jesus is asking you, and the whole 10 second rule, all it is is being ready to move when the Holy Spirit directs. That's exactly what was happening here. They were having this moment of a 10 second rule where Jesus was saying, look, it's time to harvest. It's time to harvest. And they were ready. Are we ready? Because sometimes we, again, are just called to be faithful. And we don't know what that is. Paul talked about it too. Paul talked about there's times where we sow and we might be sowers. There might be reapers who go out and reap. They they collect the harvest. It may happen years later. It may happen when you do it. It doesn't matter. The point is, are we being faithful to the seeds? Are we being faithful to that which we've been called? Now, Real quick, let me just share with you a couple of thoughts of application as the worship team comes back. Just a couple of things that I want to share with you uh, very quickly here in closing. That enables us to have the eyes to see, pe- to, to, to see people and to be ready to be motivated and mobilized by the Holy Spirit. When you look at this particular situation, looking at this woman, for the very first time, she looked within herself. There's a lesson here. The very first time this person looked within herself, Jesus forces us. When we come in contact with Jesus, he forces us to take a look at ourselves. Guys, let me share something with you. Some of us, our mission in life is to avoid looking in ourselves. We have this personification. We have this thing within our heads where it says, I'm perfectly fine. I'm okay, man. I made this. I had this contact with Jesus back here and I'm fine. There's no more. There's nothing left to do. Whereas in this particular situation, there's times when Jesus comes into our lives that He forces us to take a look within, possibly for the very first time. She was amazed and filled with wonder how Jesus could truly see her heart. But not just the negative stuff, but also the potential. She was lifted up. Her soul was flooded with hope for the very first time. And so that's what Jesus does. As a result... Her very initial reaction was to leave her water pot and what? Go tell the town what she had found. I agree with, I read this this week and I agree with it 100%. And the thought is this. It has been said that the Christian life is built upon discovery and communication. And for a lot of people, they discover and they end it right there. Christian life is built on discovery and communication. Discovery is not complete until we experience the desire that floods our soul once we experience it and discover it and encounter it. There's this desire that fills our soul to do what? To do exactly what this woman did to to, to go and to tell and to communicate what Jesus has done in her life. I've heard people say this before. They say, you know what? My spiritual life is very personal and private. I would say to you this. Personal 
Absolutely, hands down. Private, you couldn't be further away from the truth. Christian life is built upon discovery and communication. My question to you would be this. Why wouldn't you want to communicate it? Why is it that it would be so private that you would never want to communicate it? Perhaps you haven't discovered it yet. Notice how, too, in closing, notice how the things that, that riddled her life, the sin that she had, the shame that all that stuff created within her life, notice when she met Jesus for the first time that that shame was literally disintegrated. She didn't experience that shame anymore. She goes into town and she's an outcast. She goes into town she, as a woman and she starts communicating to everybody she can I, I think I found the Messiah. This guy knows everything about me. You need to come check it out. You need to come see who he is. She was out there to get away from ridicule and judgment. She was an outcast. But when she met Jesus, everything melted away and she runs back in and she shares what has taken place. She discovered and she was eager to get back to communicate. Look and see what I found. Who I have found. You see, folks, that's what a true encounter will do to a person every single time. A true encounter with Jesus will produce this desire every single time. I'm not questioning your salvation. I'm not questioning your discovery. I'm not questioning your encounter. That's not my job. But I do know that when you study Scriptures and you read through the Scriptures... When men and women encounter Jesus Christ, their personal identity and everything about them begins to fade and strip away and it becomes about Jesus. Their life is filled with this desire to understand Him more so that they can be able to share with others what is taking place within their lives. You see, that's where we get a little, that's where we get a little tripped up where we say, well, I can't share I can't share with other people about Jesus because I really don't know my Bible that well. Guys, may I suggest to you, you share what's happened within your life? Who's going to argue with that? May I suggest that you go to someone if you've truly encountered Jesus because you'll know because He's literally changed and rocked your life, rocked your world. When the Holy Spirit begins to, to, to nudge you, when the Holy Spirit begins to want to mobilize you, the thing that you do, the, all, you have, all, you're, all you're asked to do is to go and give an account of what you've experienced. That's it. Now, He may lead you into other areas, but for the most part, it's to share what has taken place in your life. What has changed you? And typically, that happens throughout your whole life. Jesus is constantly changing you. Jesus is constantly molding you more into His image. Jesus is constantly making you into a new person. That's what it means to have an encounter with Jesus. That's what it means to have your life completely re-altered. And then when we talk about the 10-second rule, you can click in and say, absolutely, that's exactly what you do. In fact, some of you may be sitting here saying, this is kind of crazy. Isn't this what it's all about anyhow? I would say yes, it is. But we also have a lot of people that fight that and say and make it a little bit more about themselves. And I would ask you and invite you to and pray for them, for the Holy Spirit to be able to, to grab a hold of them and literally begin to change them from the inside out once again. I don't know where you are. It's not my place to judge. It's not my place to judge. But I pray as, as I close here, I want to offer up a word of prayer 
that right now you would just simply allow freedom of the Holy Spirit to come into your heart. That's it. That you would open up your mind and your heart and you would entertain the nudgings of the Holy Spirit and that you would be faithful and obedient to what He's calling you uh, to do in that particular response in that moment. Father, I thank you so much that we can gather here and we can not just talk about you, but we can become encouraged. We can become charged up. We can become mobilized. Father, I, pr- I also know that in this moment where we come together, where your spirit just just has this, hopefully has this sense of freedom, that, 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 that he strips away all these things that we get so focused on that takes us off course. These things that are so temporary, these things that, that can drive our passion, that can drive our personalities, that can drive everything about us. Father, I, you, your spirit comes in and literally disintegrates all of that and enables us to raise up, open our eyes, and see the big picture once again. And Father, I pray that that would happen for each and every one of us in here this morning. That when your spirit, your spirit moving throughout this place right now, that when your spirit comes in contact with one of these individuals, with all of us sitting in here this morning, that he would find freedom so that we can we can listen to you and hear you speak to, into us and through us. Father, I pray that if there are those that have never received your, your free gift of grace and salvation, they've never turned and grabbed your hand that's inviting them into this this new way of living, this, this, this way that produces life, Father, you might give them the courage to grab a hold and literally be changed for the very first time in their life. Literally changed. Just like this woman we talked about. And that we all might leave this place with new eyes to be able to be mobilized to reach people with your love and your grace. The gospel. The, the hope that's found in you. And I pray all this in your powerful name.